0: Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us a very special guest, once again, the Honorable Roger T. Benitez. Thanks for being here, Roger. Roger was confirmed by the Senate after being nominated by President George W. Bush to the federal bench. He is a district court judge in the federal trial court, the Southern District of California. And we continue on our journey. Roger is here with us in studio through his judicial writing. His judgment in Duncan versus Bonta filed September 22nd, 2023. I'm on page 41 of the Michelle and Associates copy, which will be linked in the description below. Small case, I, page 41. The significant time period, 1791 to 1868. Bruin teaches, this is Judge Benitez, Bruin teaches the most significant historical evidence. By the way, let's thank Judge Benitez for all the time he spent on this and the wonderful work he has done for the second amendment and for the constitution as a federal judge in the Southern district of California. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Let's thank him by listening to him. Page 41. Here's judge Benitez Bruin teaches the most significant historical evidence comes from 1791, not 2016. Oh, that's me. This comes from 1791 and secondarily 1868. For the Second Amendment and other protections in the Bill of Rights, quote, constitutional rights are enshrined with the scope they were understood to have when the people adopted them. The Second Amendment was adopted in 1791. Yeah. Quote, well, we have generally assumed that the scope of the Second Amendment protection applicable to the federal government in the states is pegged to the public understanding of the right when the Bill of Rights was adopted in 1791. Unquote, that's Bruin at 2137. Consequently, whatever evolving standards of gun regulation the state legislature thought was good policy in the year 2000 when it was decided that 11 rounds is not well suited for a person to have in a gun or in the year 2016, when it was amended by proposition 63 or today is not the test for constitutional scrutiny. What are you saying, judge? What are you saying? What are you trying to say? Uh, that, well, I was going to say that was me. Actually, that's not me. That's them. But Judge Benitez, again, courts are to, quote, afford greater weight to the historical analogs, more contemporaneous to the Second Amendment's ratification, unquote. That's in Rahimi. And let me guess. Yeah. Fifth Circuit. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh was Fifth Circuit. 11th Circuit. Hmm. 2023. All right, that's a footnote. I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm rumbling to myself. I'm going back to Judge Benitez. British sources predating the Constitution are not particularly instructive because the American Revolution was a rejection of British rule. Sources post-enactment are also less helpful. To the extent later history contradicts what the text says the text controls. Thus, post-ratification, adoption, or acceptance of laws that are inconsistent with the original meaning of the constitutional text obviously cannot overcome or alter the text. That's a quote from Bruin. Late 19th century evidence is not particularly instructive because post-Civil War discussions of the right to keep and bear arms took place 75 years after the ratification of the Second Amendment. They do not provide as much insight into its original meaning as earlier sources. Even so, evidence from the time period enforces the claim that the right to keep and bear arms continued to be regarded as a fundamental right. The Supreme Court gauged in the most explicit that the Supreme Court gauged the most explicit evidence appeared in the Freedmen Bureau's Act of eighteen sixty six. Which, by the way, I'm gonna add right here, just this is me, that was all Republicans entirely in that act. Quote, the most explicit evidence of Congress's aim, unquote, according to McDonald. <laughs> Quote, appears in Section 14 of the Freedmen Bureau's Act of 1866, which provided that, this is a quote within the quote, the right to have full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings concerning personal liberty, personal security, and including the constitutional right to bear arms, shall be secured to and enjoyed by all citizens, unquote, unquote, within the quote. McDonald points to one senator's description of the right to bear arms for one's defense as an indispensable safeguard of liberty. McDonald writes, quote, every man should have the right to bear arms for the defense of himself and family and his homestead. And if the cabin door of the freedmen is broken open and the intruder enters for purposes as vile as were known to slavery, this is me. This was an act by Republicans to protect newly freed slaves. Part of the reason, part of the way they did that was give them guns, let them have guns. If you don't give them to them, let them acquire them, let them keep them, let them keep them and bear them. Okay. Going back to the quote and if a cabin door of the freedman is broken open and the intruder enters for purposes as vile as were known to slavery then should well-loaded musket be in hand of the occupant to send the polluted wretch to another world where his wretchedness will forever remain complete unquote <laughs> oh that is great that is a great quote that's in macdonald and that is um on pages 775 through 776 in McDonald. So you can see which senator that was. Let me guess, it was a Republican, possibly, since those are the ones that freed the slaves from the Democrats. That's me. This is Judge Benitez. Thus, it can be said that even at the time of the 14th Amendment, the right to keep and bear guns was a necessary right to preserve in some it is clear that the framers and the ratifiers of the 14th amendment counted the right to keep and bear arms among those fundamental rights necessary to our ordered system of liberty wow this is great stuff Bruin and Heller have already considered some of the historical firearm statutes. Consequently, we know that colonial laws restricting handguns that were dangerous and unusual in the 1690s do not justify modern laws restricting handguns. The court explains that even if handguns were considered dangerous and unusual in the 1690s, it would not matter because handguns are common today. As Bruin puts it, whatever the likelihood that handguns were considered dangerous and unusual during the colonial period, they were indisputably in common use for self-defense today. They are, in fact, the quintessential self-defense weapon. Thus, even these colonial laws prohibiting the carrying of handguns because they were considered dangerous and unusual weapons in the 1690s, they provide no justification for laws restricting public carry of weapons that are unquestionably in common use. C. The States' Lists of Relevant Laws To aid in the task of looking for a national historical tradition of firearm regulation, the state was directed to create a list of relevant laws regulating arms dating from the time of the Second Amendment, 1791, to 20 years after the 14th Amendment, that's 1868 plus 20. This is not an acknowledgment that 20 years after the 14th Amendment is a relevant period, 20 years after the 14th amendment is admittedly arbitrary limit and probably includes laws too late to shed much light. In any event, the state went far beyond the state produced a list of 316 laws covering 550 years from 1383 to 1933. The state, this is me. The state is the state of California. Okay. Judge Benitez. Many of the entries are not relevant because they came much earlier or later than the most significant period, uh, time period of 1791 to 1868. The first 14 listed laws predate the Second Amendment. On the other hand, the last 225 laws post-date the adoption of the 14th Amendment. Also, two-thirds of the state's list, 199 laws, are restrictions on use, not on possession or acquisition. Here, the magazine bans prohibits possession, manufacturing, giving, lending, offering for sale, etc., rather than regulating the use or manner of carrying ammunition or its magazines. 22 tax laws are included in the state's historical list, yet the law challenged here imposes no tax on magazines. The state's historical list also includes, surprisingly, 38 laws that applied only to particular groups, such as slaves, blacks, or mulattoes. Those laws are not relevant to the magazine prohibition challenged in this case. To say the least. And the founding era statutes that disarmed groups of persons who governments thought might be dangerous because of their race or religion are not considered analogous to modern carry prohibitions on released felons also thought to be dangerous. Any such analogy would be far too broad. That was a quote. I remember I told you, this is me. I'm not going to say quote and unquote every single time he quotes something. So if it sounds a little odd, just think he's probably quoting somebody. Here's Judge Benita's. Even if they were, this court would give such discriminatory laws, little or no weight. So just FYI, the state of California was using um, slave disarmament laws to say, yeah, this is historically analogous to what we're trying to do today. Can't make this up. Judge Benita's again, page 46. Roman numeral four. In America, people were generally free to carry firearms publicly and peaceably from 1791 to 1868. A, traditions. The history and tradition of the United States is a tradition of widespread gun ownership and expertise. Bruin says those who... Sorry, I got to take a drink of water here. Bruin says... Those who sought to carry firearms publicly and peaceably in antebellum America were generally free to do so. Thomas Jefferson pointed out that our soldiers were good shots because they had practiced with guns since they were children. Jefferson wrote, and here's a block quote, I'll show you the quote. Nice substantial quote there. Jefferson wrote, I enclose to you a list of the killed, wounded, and captives of the enemy from the commencement of hostilities in Lexington, April 1775 until November 1777, since which there has been no event of any consequence. I think that upon the whole, it has been about uh, one half the number lost by them, in some instances more, but in others less. This difference is ascribed to our superiority in taking aim when we fire every soldier in our army, having been intimate with his gun from his infancy, (laughs) unquote. That's a letter from Thomas Jefferson to Giovanni Fra- Fabroni. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Judge Benitez. Then having fire, then having firearms was commonplace. Carrying firearms was accepted. Proficiency was fire, with firearms was encouraged. Readiness with firearms was required. Then as now, terrorizing with a firearm or carrying a firearm with the intent to assault another was punishable. But none of the historical limitations on the right to bear arms operated to prevent law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from carrying arms in public for that purpose. Notwithstanding having significant time to do so, the state has identified no historical statute or national tradition of firearm regulation so broad in its coverage or so far-reaching in its effect as its large-capacity magazine ban. So what are the traditions of firearm regulation evidenced by the state's lists? Historical regulations are considered chronologically, mindful that greater weight attaches to laws nearer in time to the Second Amendment's ratification the court has reviewed every law cited in the state's list. It has sometimes searched for the actual text of the cited law rather than the party's summary in order to understand any legal nuance. It has reviewed the laws with a view to understanding the tradition of all the states and their contexts. For example, as the nation expanded, Old states became interior states, new states became frontier states. Frontier states oftentimes had different social and security concerns than the interior of the new nation. The court sought to understand how states responded to technological developments in ammunition, revolvers, repeaters, and high capacity, fast shooting lever-action rifles. The state's experts opine that gun laws were plentiful and widespread, and firearm regulation was the norm. But if the test were to look at gun laws with that level of generality, no gun law would ever fail scrutiny, and Heller, McDonald, and Bruin could not have been decided as they were. Furthermore, as will be shown, it is an exaggeration. The state says regulations on dangerous or unusual weapons existed throughout American history, but by weapons, the state means non-firearms. Relevantly similar regulations are firearm prohibitions, not bladed or melee weapon regulations, and neither dangerous or unusual nor unusually dangerous is the test. Although the state cannot point to an outright prohibition on even unusual or unusually dangerous (laughs) firearms until Alabama's 1868 prohibition on the dangerous and unusual rifle walking cane. This is me. See, you're going to learn all sorts of history here. This is great. Judge Benitez. Because the state cannot find a historical, a historic regulation of firearms, it turns to the historic regulation of weapons, whether bladed weapons or melee weapons, blunt weapons or leaded weapons. Yet the Supreme Court does not look to knife laws when reviewing a restriction about guns. Bruin teaches that a state's burden is to identify a historical tradition of firearm regulation, not a tradition of knife regulation. Underscoring the importance of its words three different times, Bruin repeats the specific phrase firearm regulation, as in the following instances. One, rather the government must demonstrate This is quoting Bruin, okay? One, rather the government must demonstrate the regulation is consistent with this nation's historic tradition of firearm regulation. Two, the government must then justify its regulation by demonstrating it's consistent with the nation's historic tradition of firearm regulation, and three, the burden falls on respondents to show that New York's proper cause requirement is consistent with this nation's historic tradition of firearm regulation. Those are all quotes quotes from Bruin, which, as you know, was a Supreme Court case dealing with concealed carry firearms in New York State. Judge Benitez, in contrast, the Bruin majority opinion did not mention Bowie Knives At all, the Supreme Court was not interested in the tradition of knife regulation or melee regulation. Even in the dissent, Bowie knives were hardly mentioned. Consequently, when the state asserts weapons restrictions proliferated, it misses the mark by referring to non firearm weapon restrictions or concealed carry restrictions. During the most important period of history, there were relatively few firearm regulations. This is interesting. That was me, Judge Benitez. This conclusion can be drawn from inspecting the state's historic law list, and it is confirmed by at least one historian. Quote, between 1607 and 1815, the colonial and state governments of what would become the first 14 states neglected to exercise any police power over the ownership of guns by members of the body politic. These limits on colonial and early state regulation of arm ownership outlined a significant zone of immunity around private arms of the individual citizen, unquote. That's from Richard Churchill, or sorry, Robert Churchill. That's the historian, I guess he's talking about. Here's the judge. It is a conclusion confirmed by the Supreme Court. Apart from a few late 19th century outlier jurisdictions, American governments simply did not, uh, simply have not broadly prohibited the public carry of commonly used firearms for personal defense. That's John B. Cates, Restricting Handguns. I have that book. It's a good book. Good luck trying to find it. There were regional differences no doubt as the nation aged northern states had virtually no restrictions on guns and none on ammunition whilst southern states tended to mainly prohibit concealed carrying in short the state argues that because some states have regulated in some ways the the use of some weapons uh, primarily knives and melee devices that translates into the state being able to regulate any magazine in any way. That is a non sequitur. And in this particular case, a bridge too far. Okay, I'm only going to do one more page, which will go fast, because I got a Christmas party to go to. Um, so here we go. I'm on page 49. Uh, smaller. Letter I, (laughs) no abrition, no prohibition on possessing guns. It is remarkable to discover that there were no outright prohibitions on keeping or possessing guns. Wow. No laws of any kind. Wow. I'm going to read the footnote on this one, just part of it, not the whole thing, but the part of it. 177 footnote 177 according to one scholar the first prohibition on simple ownership of a gun came in 1911 that's a sad year for that to happen any 1911 fans out there just me you bunch of glock people uh i like revolvers too if you're one of those revolver people so this is from churchill wow okay that's all i wanted to Go back to the text now. Judge Benitez, based on a close review of the state's law list and the court's own analysis, plaintiffs are correct in asserting that there are no founding era categorical bans on firearms in this nation's history. Though it is the state's burden, which thank God right now, thank God, that that changes everything right there. Though it is a state's burden, even after having been offered plenty of opportunity to do so, these grade inflated sons of, uh, sorry, that was me. I'm uh, you know, sorry. Um, <laughs> even after having been offered plenty of opportunity to do to, so, the state has not identified any law anywhere at any time between 1791 and 1868 there prohibited simple possession of a gun or its magazine or any container of ammunition unless the possessor was an African American or a slave or a mulatto <sighs> these footnotes are really good really good He's got one on the Mason-Dixon line that I probably should read to you, but that'll be next time. Got one more paragraph, okay? Surely, with the 315 other entries in the state's law list, there must be many other laws in the relevant time period of demonstrating a tradition of firearm regulation analogous to large-capacity magazine ban. But what else is there? Page 50. Thank you for joining me on the Republican Professor Podcast. Merry Christmas. If you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas at your workplace or in your social circles, say Joseph Christmas instead and then ask him, what the hell do you have against Mary? You just hate women or something? All right. See you next time.